Hi, I'm Vicky and welcome to the Discovery podcast. Here at Discovery, we often describe ourselves as a community of limping pilgrims and curious explorers. So today, in the spirit of curiosity, I'm really excited to be chatting with Tara Devlin. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Tara. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're able to give us this time to chat to us today. Um, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you get up to in your life? Yeah, um, so I'm Tara. I am uh, married to Adrian and we live in Belerno on the outskirts of Edinburgh. Um, I originally hail from Bangor in Northern Ireland and uh, I came across to the mainland, as we call it, uh, <laughs> for university in England and, and kind of studied there and worked in, in England for a while. And then I came I came north to Scotland in 2001 to work for Cheer Fund. Um, and so I, I'm a, the biggest chunk of my working life was uh, working for Cheer Fund as their youth and young adult coordinator in Scotland. Yeah. Um, and then my husband and I went overseas to Jamaica um, and did some work over there and then the pandemic brought us home uh, just over a year ago, literally just before lockdown. And uh, so now I work for a charity in Edinburgh called Positive Help, uh, who support people living with HIV and hepatitis C in Edinburgh and the Lothians. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks, Tara. Um, so I first, well, I'd heard about Tara Devlin long before <laughs> I ever met you. <laughs> I heard about you and your work with Tear Fund. Um, and actually, um, I don't imagine that you'd remember this, but I did a course with um, Central uh, called Interact, like a discipleship year yeah. a long time ago. And you came along and you spoke to us one Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. I remember you talking about all sorts of kind of justice issues. You were talking um, about uh, access to water and okay, the impact yeah. that that had on... Um, like safety particularly for young women yeah. and um it it really it really impacted me and I remember you gave us a piece of toilet paper to I think we had to write a bible verse or a prayer and I can't quite remember now but that piece of toilet paper lived in my bible for a long time <laughs> brilliant <laughs> yeah it was it was really good and then um yes then I heard you talking at Q Commons in Edinburgh which um, for those who haven't come across it is sort of a, yeah, like an opportunity to, um, yeah, hear people talk about all different kinds of um, issues and just be challenged by them. Is it, it, they're usually very short talks, aren't they? Yeah, I think they're usually kind of about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's maybe okay. several people kind of all bring different, different things and then you're able to have a discussion with people around what you've heard. Yeah, yes, that's right. And it, your talk was very memorable and had a big impact on me then as well. I can't remember how long ago that was, maybe four, four years ago, three years ago? Yeah, three or four. No, yeah, it must be kind of closer to four years ago now. Yeah, yeah. And as I remember it, and I'm sure you can describe your own talk better than what I can, <laughs> but as I remember it at that time, you were talking about, you were just opening up some really good questions about like um, Scotland's colonial history and its yeah. connections with the slave trade and we're just kind of encouraging us I think to be curious about like the names of streets in our cities and where those names came from and what that might mean um, mm -hmm. 
So I don't know if you want to say a little bit more just about about that, about how you became curious about that, where that had come from and where did it lead you? Yeah, it, it actually, it probably started the other way around in terms of rather than initially becoming curious about the street names that were here, it actually came from when we went to Jamaica for the first time, which was in uh, 2009, 2010. Okay. Um, and we didn't know it. When we went for that first time, we, we subsequently went again in the last kind of couple of years, but we didn't know a huge amount about Jamaica specifically. Um, and we certainly didn't really recognise our the connection with Scotland. But when we were there and you start driving around this new city of Kingston and just stumbling across street name after street name that were Scottish. Yeah. Um, and initially when you were, the, you know, were there in a brand new place and you know, just getting used to things. At first, it's like a bit of surprise and delight and something familiar. Yeah. And then the more and more of them we find, you suddenly were like, well, hang on a minute. Why are these names here? Hmm. And then realizing that actually you were meeting people, you know, that just, the, the, the it's not just place names and street names, but actually people's surnames. Hmm. Um, Jamaica was full of people with, with Scottish names and go and and you know and just joining all of those dots and realizing very uncomfortably these names are here because we brought them we we forcibly imprinted these names onto this country and onto these people yeah wow that's that and, and that I think led us just to start digging into that history because obviously we knew that Britain had a history yeah. with slavery and with colonialism yeah I think there'd always been a little bit of a sense of like oh but it wasn't it wasn't really us you know it'll have been Liverpool and Bristol and yeah. London so therefore it will really mostly have been England it yeah. can't have it can't have been Scotland um and actually that is very very much not true um uh -huh. the, the Scots were very involved and then particularly in Jamaica um and now about three quarters of the Jamaican phone book has Scottish surnames all through it um, really? Yeah. And actually, an, a few a few years ago, um, was it a qualifier? There was a, a Women's World Cup qualifying game in Hamden where the Jamaican national team played the Scottish national team. And, you know, they, they bring it up at the start with the names. Oh, yeah. The, the Jamaican women's football team, if you looked at them, you would have actually and said, which of these two teams is Scottish? You probably would have picked the Jamaican team because their surnames wow. were like three quarters of them were Scottish surnames. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. yes, in coming back here and then beginning to kind of also look around and mm -hmm. see, you know, Jamaica Street and, and you know, just realizing where the money that was made then when it came back here, where did it go to? What did it build? You know, all of those kind of things. So that kind of led us into just really yeah. digging in and understanding our history yeah you know well can you tell us some more about that maybe with some examples that might spring to mind not not everyone who listens to our podcast is from scotland so if there's anything that comes to mind that could sort of illustrate that that might be quite helpful yeah i mean i think without being like initially very specific i suppose part of it is just recognizing that so when when slavery ended um, the only way that it was able to be made 
palatable for the people who were slave owners was that they were then often offered compensation from the government um, per every, you know per slave and and per property and and all of that information was then in recent years catalogued and put online so you can go and have a look and see um, you know the names and and where and, and what was claimed for and per head of population Scotland has more claims submitted than any other part of the UK. And so there, there was a time, I, I don't think that the website exists anymore, but there was a time where, because obviously quite a lot of those claims also then were linked to addresses in Edinburgh. And so there was a time where there was a website called the Edinburgh Slavery Map, where wow. it, it was a very simple, they, they'd pulled out the information from that kind of um, document and plotted them on a map of Edinburgh to the specific addresses from where people had claimed for, you know, loss of their property. Um, uh, and, you know, and the new time particularly was just dotted with addresses um, from, from where people like that was their home address in Scotland and they put in those claims for when they lost, you know, their plantations in Jamaica and, and other places. Um, but then I think off the back of that, what people then did with that wealth. So I guess we, we walk on streets where all of that money and all of that wealth, A, that had all been just built up anyway, because we were making money from having had sugar plantations, you know, mm. in, in the Caribbean. But then the people who came back with then this even bigger lump sum of money started investing it into our infrastructure. So it's it's gone into our railways, it's gone into bequeathing stuff to like universities. So for example, Glasgow University in the last couple of years had done a big piece of research in realizing that their buildings and some of that early infrastructure yeah. was, was put in place essentially with slave money. And so mm. then comes the question, well, what do, what do we do about that? You know, we, we can't go back and change what happened then. Yeah. But recognizing that actually our institution, our nation has benefited in all kinds of ways from money that was gained at that time. What do we do about that? How do we begin to make reparation in some way? So whether yeah. that's a first of all, the, the, the first piece is, is for people like Galaxy University to just acknowledge that, to say this is part of our history. We need to recognize that. Um, and then to, to say, right, do we, do we set up, you know, some kind of a fund that enables, you know, students in the Caribbean to, to get scholarships? Um, do we form, which I think they also then did do like a form a partnership with the University of the West Indies to, okay. to, to talk with you. So it's, it's those yeah. kinds of things. So there's, there's various things. There's one, there's another example that's really current, which literally I think the piece of work has just been done I think it's somewhere in the, the north of Scotland where, again, a slave owner made his money, came back. One of the things that he invested in was he kind of essentially left a legacy to fund education locally in Scotland. That fund and its legacy still exists. So teachers have been like receiving bursaries or, or you know, in, in that kind of pocket or have been able to apply for a fund, which nobody has known up until recently and someone's done the research to say, um, that money and the money, you know, yeah. that's, that 
is the same pot of money that came from slavery. Okay. So wow. should we maybe not think of giving that money back to Jamaica and letting them fund their education system <laughs> or yeah. whatever, rather than us keeping it here now that we know where it came from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously across Britain right now, this is a massive question that so many so many institutions are asking themselves isn't it yeah I wonder I wonder what kind of conversations we'll be having in a year from now or 10 years from now just about where that's where that's moved forward um yeah I hope we I hope we are I hope we still are having those conversations I mean I think they're quite they're quite difficult conversations I think for some people to have I think some people find Mm. them really uncomfortable and especially when you do begin to start talking about reparation, yeah. you know, what does people hear kind of are like, well, what, do you, what do you mean reparation? I think the first thing we need to understand is in Jamaica and in the Caribbean, the conversation about reparations is very real and very current, you know, and is not an idea. It is, we are owed, like there yeah. is reparation to be made here. We have a committee, we have a government committee, we have, you know, a reparations minister, whatever it might be, that's like, this is a topic and it's not going away for us. I think for for us in the UK, it's it's being able to say, ah, okay, we need to have that conversation. What does does reparation look like? And for some people, when you bring that up, they they do get quite animated. about that um thinking that maybe it's you know I I posted something on Facebook a little while ago to to do with that mm-hmm. um because I'd written to the first minister asking her to uh, apologize um for our part in slavery and suggesting that maybe one part of reparation or a gesture would be that we could help fund Jamaica's vaccination um program uh, and someone who I knew saw that post and kind of was messaging me privately really just like I know you can't possibly mean that like we actually owe reparation like this is ridiculous this was like 200 years ago Uh and what about reparation for this and these people could seek reparation for that and all the rest of it and I think and I understand where some of that comes from but one of the things that I think people maybe fail to understand is to be able to draw the line between slavery and what's happened what's happening now people are people see like well slavery was 200 years ago and then oh we you know yeah we have kind of race relations in this country that aren't great as if those two things are entirely separate separate and happened in in different kind of worlds but actually it's one big long continuum you know we we didn't abolish slavery and suddenly everything became peachy and fair in Jamaica yeah. it's yeah. like we we they we ruled them until 1962 I think it is or you know whenever it was uh-huh. that was only when they got their independence up until that point we had still been colonially ruling with varying degrees of fairness or mm. lack thereof we certainly when we did give them their independence we didn't, they were not a country that we set up to flourish. You know, we, it was essentially like, okay, you want this now, we've taken everything we've wanted. 
on you go. Um, and and then you look at, you know, Windrush, you yes. look at, at all of those kind of things. They're all part of the same understanding of who's in charge, who has power and who doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which all is about our privilege and us not wanting to give it away. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know what I don't even know what I'm thinking now. It's like big I think thoughts. I think if, if people you know so pe people talk about wanting to maybe grapple with issues of race. So obviously the whole yeah. issues around race has been yeah. has been a huge part of the discussion of the last year. And and that kind of like you know and the, and of course there is a conversation that is about what do we do in the here and now to bring equality. What do we do to to change that dynamic? But I think part of it has to start with us recognizing that this is not suddenly a moment that has come out of nowhere but that actually as people who are white yeah in the UK we are standing on the shoulders of the shoulders of the shoulders of a system yeah that's all been about you know power and, and privilege based on our skin color mm -hmm. and that we just need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge yeah. that that's all part of the same picture and, and to repent of it and to, to recognize that it will have put blinkers on us that we don't know are there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before we even begin to start tackling the, right, what do I do? Yeah. You know, how do yeah. I understand the racism in the right now? It's it's yeah. recognizing that it's it's part of a bigger picture. I think. Yeah. I'm so. I am so curious to know, kind of what that's like within your own heart as you've wrestled with all of that yourself, and you've given us such a, a vivid and and powerful kind of encapsulation of this mm. this history. Like, what's that like within you? I mean, there are definitely times where uh, it like it's quite uncomfortable, <laughs> you know. And and I think mm. that's I think that's part of it is realizing that actually when you start to think about these things and dig into these things, mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not a comfortable thing to to mm. to think about. You've got to kind of wrestle with it. You've got to mm -hmm. realize like dealing with your own privilege and how ingrained that is in a yeah. way that feels like it's quite subtle because it's you know we for most people it'd be like no I'm not yeah I'm not a racist and I'm not I'm not you know bigoted I'm not whatever but that we still will have conditions because of that privilege that take quite a lot of unpicking mm -hmm. um and so I think for me some of that came through kind of realizing like I, I need to do some reading about this I need to um I need to understand other people's perspectives I need to understand my own prejudice and, and privilege and um yeah just not be afraid of the discomfort yeah um you know, because I had, as I have read some things, I haven't like read extensively, but I've read, you know, there've been a few books that I've kind of been read over the last couple of years. And some of them have, you know, they've either made me feel quite uncomfortable at times 
or the partly maybe partly because they've just suddenly made me realize like my privilege has just been laid mm. bare mm-hmm. and the fact that that privilege has allowed me to start doubting somebody else's experience mm. and then being like why would you why would you doubt what somebody else is telling you is their real lived experience as a person who has a different skin color from you yeah you know that there's I think there's, yeah. there's one um my what is the book it's the one um why I no longer talk to white people about race oh yes which I thought was really helpful really challenging but there were a couple of times one of the things she said in the book which was you know if if somebody is you know if a person of color is telling you about their experience and you find yourself going yeah but was did that really happen because of your race or was it something else um you know she's like no, this person is telling you <laughs> they have experienced this multiple times. They know that it's because of the race and you find yourself going, is it yeah. really? Yeah. And then, you know, and you were reading that and going, oh gosh, yeah. And then she, you know, there'd, there'd be another bit in the, she'd further on uh-huh. where I'd find myself going like, yeah. What was that? And then I was like, you're doing exactly what she said. Yeah. You do, you're doubting what somebody else is telling you. It's like, this is my experience as somebody who is not like you. You just yeah. need to believe it. Yes. Um, so yeah, so it's it's quite uncomfortable, but I think but, part I think part of what we need to do is just learn to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Huh? Challenging, but good. <laughs> <laughs> so t- <laughs> tell tell me more about um, about Jamaica. Like you've been there. You you lived there for a year and you were there before. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years. Ah. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's an incredible place. Um, it's really, you know, vibrant and the people are really warm and really welcoming. Um, you know, it, it is one of those things where it, in some ways you kind of think, gosh, you know, I've never really encountered a huge amount of animosity from anybody um even though they they know their history and they know you know all of that they they've always been very very warm and very welcoming but but equally there you see you know you see that legacy of of slavery you see just in how in some of the kind of um the ways that family you know, during the time of slavery, for example, fam- you know, family was deliberately torn apart. There was no such thing as a family unit within the kind of slavery, within slaves, because it was, wow. families were deliberately broken up and, and broken mm-hmm. apart. Um, and, and there's just those, those kind of things of, of, you know, the kind of family unit in Jamaica can be really fractured. And, you know, for a lot of people, they would say that, you know, there, there are those kind of cultural legacies that are there. Um that have been put in place. You know, you, you see it when you go around the, the country in the the disparity between rich and poor, black and white. Um, you know, when you drive a, along the north coast in Jamaica, which is the kind of touristy part of the island. Okay. I remember it felt really stark one day that we were driving along this beautiful coastline and there's a big golf course um, on what was plantation land because there are still bits of the plantation infrastructure, like the bits of the aqueduct and stuff 
still there. Wow. And, you know, when you kind of, and you see these kind of rich foreigners like playing golf on this golf course, knowing that the local black population of Jamaica who are working in the hotel for not really a huge amount of money, you know, and you're like, mm. what, what has changed here? Actually, the dynamic. And I remember speaking to a lady in the in the craft market at one of the things, and, and talking about that. And she said, "Yeah, she said, you know, the shackles have been taken off our feet, but actually they're still up here, you know. And and in that, so the dynamic, the dynamic of power is still the same. So you know, you kind of think, okay, we we ended slavery and we ended." Or you know, and, and Jamaica became independent, and all of the all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But that dynamic of who who has power, who has wealth, that hasn't changed. Wow. Wow. That's um, yeah. So, what's the way forward for Jamaica then? Do you think? I mean. I think that's a really interesting question. I think it's, that's one of those times where you kind of think, you know, part of that is having conversations with Jamaicans about, you mm. know, what, what, so one of the questions that I asked quite a bit actually in the last couple of years when we were there, because I was really interested, you know, I'd really begun to think about this whole area of, you know, reparation and what does, what does reparation look like? What should reparation look like? What do mm. Jamaicans, what would they want to see as reparation? Um, and quite often when I asked people that question, because people were, were really open to that question, you know, and would kind of sit and chat to them and say, you know, okay, let if we if we take into, you know, as a given that the likelihood of reparation being just one big lump sum of money mm-hmm. is highly unlikely, but reparation can happen in all kinds of ways. Like what what do you think reparation could or should look like? And lots of people talked about education. Um, you know, they were they were kind of talking about a educating just the population as to what they're yeah. you know a lot of them knew their history but just kind of really understanding that but then yeah. for a lot of people they were just like actually financially we can't invest in educating you know you have to pay for education in Jamaica um oh so, wow at yeah. all levels or... yeah you pay to go to primary school um you know so that just from from the the get go, mm-hmm. there's that mm-hmm. you know barrier to accessing yeah. any kind of education, um, you know. And so a lot of people kind of said, well, let, let's just start there, you know. Let's yeah. invest, you know. So I think those are the kind of things where I would love to see the conversation about reparation become an a conversation here, and then a genuine mm-hmm. actual conversation with Jamaica. From from yeah. Scotland, I mean, yes, there's a UK part of this, but actually, if if we're kind of saying, do you know what, Scotland has a particular connection with Jamaica, so let's yeah. us just take the lead in this. Let's not yeah. wait for the UK government to see yeah. what they'll do. Let's us as Scottish people, as you know, a Scottish government, have that conversation with Jamaica to mm-hmm. just say, what what does reparation mean? What could reparation look like? even as the beginnings of something, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a really interesting book that I've literally just picked up, so I haven't even started reading it yet, but um, right here, um, oh. called Blood Legacy, 
Reckoning with a Family's Story of Slavery by a guy called Alex Renton. Alex Renton. And he, he basically did some digging and discovered that his family, like, did have slave connections in Jamaica. And then, and then he's essentially been like, okay, so what does it mean for me? So he basically says, um, says a group of Caribbean countries is calling on 10 European nations to discuss the payment of trillions of dollars for the damage done by transatlantic slavery and its continuing legacy. Meanwhile, Black Lives Matter and other activist groups are causing increasing numbers of white people to reflect on how this history of abuse and exploitation has benefited them. Mm-hmm. Blood Legacy, the name of the book, explores what inheritance political, economic, moral, and spiritual has been passed to the descendants of the slave owners and the descendants of the enslaved. And he also asks crucially how the former, himself among them, can begin to make reparations for the past. So it's essentially a book about reparations, but from his point of view, intensely personal. Yes. um, But recognising that actually this is not just about those of the people who directly, you know, are descended because we've all benefited because it yeah. was all poured into this yeah. country. Um, so yes, I'm I'm really interested to start digging into this and mm-hmm. see what he has to say. <laughs> Tara, I feel like we need to get a Tara book list off you at the end of the podcast to put up on our website or something. Yeah. <laughs> Send us some recommendations to share with people. Yeah. That might that might be a really good thing. Um so I was I was um just remembering about um no one else will have read this yet, but you sent me a like a fantastic article that you've written for something which discover a project Discovery is working on just now, which hopefully will be published um later on this year. And and in that article that you sent me, you told a story about a kind of a, a it was a woman who was sat behind you in a church meeting, is that right? And she yeah. was kind of like speaking out um, about reparations um, and just how kind of it sounded like what was quite an awkward but then ultimately a really um, revelatory kind of encounter that you had and I, I really I really loved what you said about it there but you also um, quoted Micah 6 um, mm. about yeah God calling us to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm ju- I am just thinking, you know, what what does that mean for us in the context of what you're talking about? Um, yeah. And you talked about like one of the things that you did was was writing to Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, good job aiming straight for the top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you ever get a reply, by the way? Um, I got a reply not from her. It was it was I actually need to just follow up on it. Um, it was passed to. I can't remember what the person's title was, but they responded more from the point of view. So they they are looking to having um, like a a dedicated museum, okay. um, all to do you know acknowledging our history. So that it was kind of passed to somebody who was kind of like yeah 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 we're 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 thinking about this and we're working towards having this museum, which I kind of mm-hmm. was like yeah that's not quite what I asked. I asked no. about an apology and about reparations. A museum is good and we should have it and it's important yes. that we ha- actually tell the truth about our history. That's an important part of the process, but kind of okay. dodges the harder bits, which which is... Bits that might make a difference. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh-huh. 
so I, I suppose my question is like what what can I do um you know what can someone who's listening to this do about apart from this such as kind of like the personal investigation the personal mm. confrontation with our own um privilege and how we um have benefited in ways that we've not seen mm. um yeah I mean how do we act justly now to address the unjust actions of our ancestors yeah I think I think that's a really good question and I think it's something that we're all figuring out I don't think there is yeah. a really nice neat answer um, isn't that a shame <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think as we continue to have these kinds of conversations read these kinds of books just connect some of these don't have these kind of conversations not just with people like among ourselves who mm. are like oh this is quite interesting you know but have them with other people as well for you know the yeah. people who might be just like what are you talking about to be ridiculous of course we shouldn't yeah. pay reparations you know yeah I, I think the conversation over time will naturally lend itself to us seeing those opportunities to kind of think do you know what yeah whether I'm it's just me I'm going to write to my you know first minister whoever or whether mm -hmm. it's kind of like okay great yes so we are going to have a, a a museum super I really support that yeah. uh what next yeah. you know it, it's I think it's not resting on our comfortable laurels of like oh look we did the easy bit of that process great. <laughs> you know, we've it, no this is this is the kind of only the beginning um, and I think it probably will take a little while for us to to feel, um, yeah, to just work through all of that discomfort. So there's a quote that we were, you know, we were kind of chatting at the start about kind of any quotes or whatever that kind of just feel like they really mm -hmm. resonate with this. And yeah. there's a quote that I saw a little while ago. It's kind of, it's not really attributed to any one person because I think it's been around a little while, but it says, um, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And I think that's something that's really just right at the heart of all of this is actually there are times where you kind of some of that response to things like reparation are kind of like, well, hang on a minute, that's going to cost us. Yeah. And that's going to have a knock on effect, which makes me feel deeply uncomfortable because I might lose something he somewhere here. Yeah. I'm going to lose ground of power or privilege or status or, you know, whatever. And it's being able to just recognize that, yeah, this there might come a time, whatever this might look like, where this is going to feel like oppression, but it's because we've been privileged. We're so used to the privilege mm -hmm. and everything that that's bought us, that when that gets dismantled, that's going to feel deeply uncomfortable to the point that it might feel like oppression to us. Mm. And I think... I think in all of the those, those little ways, it's the, the dismantling of our own privilege, the dismantling, dismantling of our own prejudice that has come from that privilege mm -hmm. that really is the place to start. Because I think yeah. that will naturally start to lead us on to the things that we can do yeah. Yeah. maybe more practically, practically and actively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Tara.
there is so much to think about and I've probably got about 3,000 more questions to ask you but we'll maybe we, we can do a part two some other time yeah let's do that another time um I just wanted to mention before we finished so um in the podcast that we had out before I recorded this one with you um John spoke to Andy Bevan at International Justice Mission obviously um addressing modern slavery mm. and um yeah I'm just it's just that kind of sense of where the continuation between the historic slave trade and you know this kind of like global slave trade that continues today and just yeah I'm just thinking there's something about how you know like living in the comfort of our um our privilege and how and those of us in Western society have benefited from that legacy, you know, it just perpetuates it today still in other, in other forms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering that anyway, if that's kind of part of our, um, part of the stuff that we need to think about. Would you just say that quote again for us, Tara? The one yeah. That... Um, when you are accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Wow. Tara, we're going to uh, finish up there. I wonder if I could just ask you to, to pray for us um, yeah. just briefly. Yeah, and we'll absolutely. Say goodbye. Thank yeah. you. Father, we just ask that you would help us to dismantle the things in our heart and our mind that are not of you. We recognize that privilege and power have blinded us in some ways and Lord we want to commit ourselves to the hard work of becoming uncomfortable so that we can act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with you and so Lord for each one of us who is partaking in this conversation would you just show us today that first baby step towards what that looks like and that we would commit ourselves uh, to taking it for the benefit of our brothers and sisters and all that we come into contact with. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tara.